Hello there, and welcome to the Jill Cruz podcast. This is Jill Cruz. And today I had the pleasure of speaking with Heather Keyworth Conley. And Heather shares her story, her experience around discovering something about her behavioral health, the way that her brain functions, that she was not aware of for most of her life. And having a very successful career, and in spite of having this challenge, which is ADHD, she didn't know that she had ADHD. And so she was, that led to a lot of struggles in life, making things very challenging and even leading to depression and imposter syndrome. So this is a very interesting and important episode because I think there are a lot more people out there who may be walking around with ADD or ADHD, and there's different forms of it and all that, who may not even be aware and are struggling so much. And Heather talks about how she it was hard for her to get things done. It was hard for her to stick to something, to like a diet or something. So, you know, this is a, this is interesting. It's definitely food for thought. You know, she gives some idea of what it what that's like. So maybe you can, I don't know, maybe you or someone you know may have it and not know. So it's something to listen for. And also she gives an incredible tip on one uh, specific coping mechanism that she uses that's very powerful for her. But also I think it applies to everybody, whether you have ADD, ADHD or not. <laughs> it's a really good tip and a practice. I think you're going to get a lot out of this episode and enjoy. Hello, Heather, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here today. Oh, thank you so much, Jill. I'm really excited to be here and talk with you. Yes, I am too. So, you know, we've talked a little bit offline and I know that you've been on quite a journey for your health and your and your life. And so tell mm-hmm. us what it is that you've discovered, some something that you've learned that you would like to share with others. Sure. Yeah, it really has been the past few years. I think, you know, collectively for all of us since the beginning of 2020, we've just we've learned so much about ourselves and about the world and about I think on one hand, you know, it took sort of this collapsing of everything to really realize that we we could rebuild we could rebuild things how we want to based on what we learned. And I kind of mm. found myself almost lockstep with the things that were happening in the world around us. I had a um, a horrible personal experience, a breakup at the end of, t- of 2019 that led me into some introspection for early 2020. Uh, so I was already mm-hmm. in an introspective space. I have a really, I like to think, an impressive career history. Uh, I had mm-hmm. 15 years in higher education and working in the nonprofit sector, had you know achieved high status in a lot of my positions. and But I had always had a a little, what I felt was an extra struggle. I always Mm -hmm. um, approached my work. I knew exactly what was going to happen. I was going to dive in and I'd do it. And sometimes I would sit at my desk or sit in front of my computer. And the next thing I know, I'm, you know, looking out the window or I'm thinking about what I'm going to make for dinner tonight or about that conversation I had with somebody a few months ago. And the next thing I know it's lunchtime and I haven't done anything. So I would accomplish Mm. my work, but it would take me so much longer than everybody else it felt like. So I went through a lot of my work doing it in what would take someone else an hour to do. It would take me to do it, but it would take me a long time. 
And I didn't know why. I just thought it was it was me. And then after years of working, you you start to that negative self-talk of it's me. Mm-hmm. I'm lazy. I can't focus. I, you know, I'm distracted all the time. I'm I'm just, you know, I'm not good enough. And you know, mm-hmm. women, I think we plague ourselves with those feelings of inadequacy, of imposter syndrome, yeah. of, you know, all of the, the things that I think we're sort of indoctrinated with um, as as females in Western culture. I am an early Gen Xer. So mental health wasn't something that we really thought about or talked about. And it wasn't until I experienced some pretty intense struggles with my work and in my life uh, in the past year or so that I realized I need to seek some help. And I started working with my primary care physician and she suggested I work with a therapist and we ultimately, the result was we discovered that I have ADHD and it uh-huh. was an absolute shock for starters. When we think of ADHD, I don't know about you, but you know, I think of ADHD, I think, I think of a little boy who can't sit still in his seat. <laughs> and gonna, you know, give them a bunch of drugs, and and you know, and that's we don't, you know, it's like, oh, that's you right. know, I'm, I'm an adult woman. I what do I have, you know? So right. it was shocking that's to true. me. But the more I learned about it, the more I learned that it presents very different ADHD symptoms pre- present very differently in girls than they do in boys. So it goes mm. undiagnosed in girls, and oftentimes it can go undiagnosed until you're an adult, and yeah. suddenly. I found myself saying every struggle I've had in my life, things like out of sight, out of mind, you know, I would buy something like I'd buy a a food item and a week later I'd find it dead in the back of my fridge because I I didn't see it. I forgot all about it. Mm -hmm. I, you know, can't fold my laundry. (laughs) I can't keep my house in order. You know, I thought I'm just a busy single mom. That must be it. Mm -hmm. I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm not a terrible person. So suddenly this understanding of what was really happening with my brain chemistry answered a lot of these questions for me and really shined a light on how this disorder, which is a, a behavioral disorder, it is neuro, i uh, sorry, I can't think of the exact term this second, but it is a behavioral disorder. It is brain chemistry. It can be treated very easily and you can live a wonderful, normal life. You know, all of a sudden I realized that the depression and the self-loathing and the inability to stick to a diet or stick with exercise, you know, all of these things that I thought I was incapable of doing because I'm lazy or not good enough. Mm-hmm. It suddenly made sense to me why my struggles have been what they've been. Wow. So I've been on that that journey for the past uh, about, about, about a year now. I've been on that journey and I can tell you that it has absolutely changed my life learning about wow. this this experience. So, so yeah, so that's, that's, that's kind of the nutshell. (laughs) Wow. That's incredible. When, when you think about how many people out there are, yes, are still suffering with this. And I, I, you know, I laughed when you mentioned about the little boy who couldn't sit in his chair because I remember, Mm -hmm. so I'm 52 Mm -hmm. I'm a full on Gen Xer. And I remember that in fifth, sixth grade, I think it was, there was a boy who everybody knew that he had ADD. That's what they called it. Right. right? But really everybody just said he was hyperactive. Mm -hmm. That, that was, that was what the term was, you know, this boy has a condition and he's hyperactive. 
mm-hmm. and his behavior was, you know, kind of a little wild. I mean, I think I was a little mm-hmm. wild too, but I just, you know, tried to dampen it down. I got in trouble too. <laughs> right, right. I'm, I'm, I, I may have been a little hyper myself, but mm-hmm. you know, it was, that's what we grew up with associating. Right. And then, and then, you know, in your twenties, you're like, oh yeah, there's this thing called ADD, but yeah, like, it's like for kids, you know? Mm-hmm. So think of how many people in our generation oh, absolutely. or the boomer generation too, yep. who have, have just developed all of these incredible coping mechanisms, yes. which is, I think you have to give yourself, I'm sure you've already done this, but give yourself credit for the fact that you were a high functioning individual, very successful in your career in spite of having this. Spite of it. That's incredible. You know, and I, and I have, there have been moments where I, you know, have definitely thought, wow, what could I have accomplished? Where could yeah. I be today if mm. mental health not only was not so taboo or stigmatized, but prioritized, Mm -hmm. just like our physical health. You know, what if when I was struggling in high school and I was very smart, I was a smart person. Mm -hmm. I read a lot. I was, I traveled with my family. I knew things. I was curious about things. What if they said, you know, let's look at how she learns. Let's accommodate. Let's find a way to help this child shine. Instead, I got shuffled through the school system. And, and that mm-hmm. ultimately led to where I became very passionate about access. In my 20s, I did some traveling. I didn't go right to college. I, I traveled and I, I lived life to the fullest as a single young person, which I'm grateful I did because, you yeah. know, when I had my child in my late 30s, it was like, okay, I'm ready to settle down. But, you know, I wasn't, I was just too too curious and too eager. And the world did a really good job of saying, nope, you've got to sit in a desk and you've got to make a living and you can't, you, you can't be curious and you can't, you have to sit still. And I just couldn't do it. So I started to discover that I was this, you know, white kid from a middle-class family living in a suburb of Boston in a, you know, decent middle-class neighborhood. And, uh, and I was so completely let down by the school system and by, you know, just just the, the way that things were. There was no priority on, on mental health. We didn't think about access the way that we think about it now. And so that really, all of a sudden, I thought, you know, if, if I was so failed and I mm-hmm. had a solid network and great parents and, you know, a good, a good network of people within the school system, et cetera, and I was still failed. What is happening to kids that are living in in either in deep poverty or in households where parents are working double you know, two three jobs and can't be home? What's yeah. happening in those schools? And what's happening in the schools that aren't funded as well? And that really mm-hmm. got me on a journey about fixing the education system. So I spent a lot of the mm-hmm. beginning of my career into working with youth and particularly in schools um, that were not as funded, not as well funded as some of the schools in more affluent neighborhoods. And then I discovered the deeper inequity uh, in places where there were predominantly folks of color. And that was mm-hmm. that was really the beginning of my DEI journey. Mm-hmm. And now years later... DEI, I, can you... Um, some people are, may not be familiar sure. with the term. <laughs> sure, sorry. So the term is, uh, you know, it's changed so much over the years and it's still an evolving term. 
Uh, currently, it's uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion is this term that companies are really embracing. I think those of us that have been in this work for you know a couple decades, we've seen how it's changed and, and how the terms mm-hmm. have changed. But it's really uh, the concept is that that we develop systems and processes that are inclusive and welcoming, that people can bring their full selves, regardless of their zip code, ethnicity, race, religion, sexual orientation, gender identification, physical abilities, et cetera. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I became really focused on racial equity because I recognized Mm -hmm. that in particular, the school system was so egregiously uh, skewed toward white history, you know, the whitewashing of history, right. that I, I started working on culturally responsive education for, for young people. And access became really, really critical to me that access and representation, particularly in schools, was something that kids of color could had. So mm-hmm. th- th- there's a lot. I'm kind of jamming all of this into a couple of sentences, but, sure. you know, we're talking about... <laughs> working as a community organizer, uh, working as an activist and a lobbyist. But ultimately, I brought that work into the corporate sphere, which is really when I started to recognize that some of these executive functions of mine, like my time management and my attention to detail, it was it was really, I was struggling. I was struggling to keep tasks. Mm-hmm. Again, as you said earlier, you know, I was doing it. It was getting done, uh, but it was incredibly stressful. I was working in the middle of the night to get things done. I was, you know, really, really what would take somebody 10 minutes might take me an hour. And so I was very stressed. I was very depressed. I was feeling incredibly overwhelmed. And and then I realized, you know, this this feeling is is the feeling that a person has when they don't have the access that they need to do the job that they're capable of doing. And so this was a barrier for me. And I started to recognize that this is a really good opportunity for me to do the the inclusion work and access work around DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, that can, you know, hopefully affect change for, for women who experience what I've experienced and and are thinking, you know, the same feelings that I felt. Why can't I lo- why can't I just fold the laundry? Why can't I do that? Yeah. <laughs> just can you talk more about that? Like for if somebody's listening and they're like, this is sounding familiar. Like yeah. what are the classic uh signs to look for? Do you are you, sure. I'm sure you you must know, right? So <laughs> really, you know, and I'm I am working, you know, holistically on this. Mm-hmm. You know, this understanding now that this is this is something that I live with and something I have lived with. So I'm a single mother. I'm 48. You know, as we've talked about through this podcast, you know, I've, I've got a, a pretty long history of high demand and emotionally charged work uh, that I've been able to do. But I feel like I've never been able to do it at the capacity I know I can do it. Mm-hmm. So I will uh, wake up in the morning and I'll whip out my to-do list and, you know, I'll stare at the computer and I will go make a cup of coffee and then I'll go through a load of laundry and 
and then I'll come back and look at my to-do list. And then I will, mm. um, you know, I will, I'll, I'll go, oh, I forgot the laundry and the dryer or the washing machine. And well, I left it there for two days and now it smells like mold. So I'm going to have to rewash it. You know, oh, darn, I'm out of dog food. Uh, you know, shoot, I was supposed to get dog food yesterday. So when we did the, when my diagnosis was, was, you know, it's a whole process you go through. Uh, what we mm-hmm. discovered was that my executive functioning in places like attention to detail and um, time management, I have no concept of time. Now, this is, again, this is like a brain function. So something that I think, yeah, yeah, that'll only take me 20 minutes or I'll be there in 15 minutes. And really, it's 20 minutes in travel time and I still don't have my coat on. But in my mind, I'm saying, 20 minutes, I'll be there. Really, it's right. going to be more like 40. Right. But now, mind you, I have been working very hard on all kinds of different skills with my therapist. Uh, she's more like an ADHD coach. She is a, a licensed therapist, mm-hmm. clinical therapist, but she's providing me the, as you said earlier, I developed coping skills and coping strategies to be as successful as I was in my career as I, as I, you know, being able to run my house myself with a very precocious preteen, you know, so (laughs) I've been able to do these things, just not very efficiently, or to the, honestly, to the caliber that I, I am capable of. So you, you had this knowing that, wow, you know, I'm smart, and Mm -hmm. I, and I have accomplished all these things, and I'm curious, Mm -hmm. and I have these skills, but like, you know, I should be doing things better and more quickly. Right. Like you, you knew this was happening. Yeah. So I think that's something for people to kind of, oh, no doubt. you know, if someone's listening to go, wait a minute. Okay. And I like your example too, about the way you described like a, a morning for you, where you would have the list. Mm-hmm. Duke is drinking water in the background, by the <laughs> way, for anybody listening. <laughs> Not only is it loud, it's messy when yes. he drinks water. There's like yes. a puddle around the around Anybody, the bowl. Yep. But um, that's, you know, as you were describing that, I was thinking, gosh, you know, that's so different from how I function. Like mm-hmm. I can look at my list and start. Yep. So I, I wonder also part of this conversation that might be interesting is like that I know something's wrong. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think this is normal. Maybe right. Maybe you had those thoughts, but... Then you just, I guess, brush it aside or, you know, something happens where you sort of just let it happen for 40, 47 years, you know? Well, I will say, you know, I, I've had definitely have had bouts of depression and, you know, the depression of that feeling that I'm not good enough. And Mm -hmm. again, I mentioned earlier, you know, that imposter syndrome, like, wow, look at me, I'm, you know, sitting in the C-suite with all of these, you know, vice presidents, and I can see the uh, the Zakem Bridge from my view. And I, I don't even belong here. You know, I, I, mm-hmm. I like, how did I get here? I don't even belong here. And those feelings of shame and depression and that are, mm-hmm. I think that women in general, but I think people that are thinking and sensitive and feeling will have those feelings anyway. And then on top mm-hmm. of that, to have your brain chemistry reinforce that by not being able to do yeah. certain tasks that your rational brain says, I can, of course I can do this. This is, this mm-hmm. is easy. I, I know how to do this, but why can't I? And, or mm-hmm. why does it take me three hours to do? 
and I became depressed. And I've been very, you know, on and off throughout my adult life have been, you know, struggled with that feeling of inadequacy. And then this diagnosis and this finally saying, I need to take control of this and find out what's happening was the first time that I have felt like, you know, yes, yes, I am worth it. Yes, I can do this. And, you know, I, I, <laughs> thankfully, you know, we've got humor to get us through those, those difficult situations. <laughs> and a friend of mine made me a t-shirt as I was going through this journey and being open about this journey, because I feel like more people could benefit from knowing and, you know, your life could change yeah. like mine, where the t-shirt says, sometimes I'm really great, but imagine if I was mentally stable. Now, of course, that's a little offensive because, <laughs> you know, but, but, you know, but it's, but we joke because I, and, and I say it, imagine what I could have accomplished if my mental health had been prioritized. And this wasn't, you know, my parents' fault or anybody's fault, but as a society, we don't treat it. Um, and in particular, ADHD has such a stigma associated with it. And in fact, you know, back to that little boy in the classroom that can't sit still, mm-hmm. you know, then there's this other stigma that we're just going to dope him up with some drugs and he'll be fine. And right. so that's sort of right. this other, when you hear ADD, like in our generation or ADHD now, you know, you think about that and it's so stigmatized and yeah. you know, there's been some risk for me to be honest about this because... I don't want some future employer out there to go, oh, ooh, we don't, you know, ooh, yikes, she can't pay, you know, she can't pay attention and she can't sit in her seat and mm-hmm. she can't this, that, and mm-hmm. But those are all the things I wouldn't say prior, but was really unable to do. And now mm-hmm. that I'm embracing my mental health and taking care of myself, I can do those things that before took me two hours and now they take me 10 minutes because wow. I have- that's so wonderful. Mm-hmm. And I can give you one little tip. And that is that changed my life. And it was that I have this parking lot notebook where I just write everything down, any intrusive thought, anything that I need to think Mm -hmm. about. Oh, I I need that butter. or Oh, I forgot to get the dog food yesterday. Whatever those intrusive Mm -hmm. thoughts or just as I'm thinking about my to-do list, put it on my to-do list. And then in the morning, instead of looking at my to-do list and getting totally overwhelmed and going to watch Netflix, I (laughs) instead look at the things on my list not, I don't prioritize it. I look mm-hmm. at the things on my list w- that have the largest barriers. Mm-hmm. I hate making phone calls. Mm-hmm. I cannot pick up the phone and call Volkswagen to schedule my oil change. I can't do it. Don't know why I can't do it. Oh, that's right. It's my ADHD. And it's real. It mm-hmm. is, this is, I'm not making these mm-hmm. things up. So I say, I look at my list and I say, okay, I keep forgetting the dog food. Why? because it involves me getting in the car and driving to the supermarket. That's my barrier. So how can I remove that barrier to get that task done? And that's how I prioritize my list. So if I need to make those calls, I need to do that. I need to do that first thing in the morning because I hate it. So I have to get it off my list. Then I get that dopamine Uh rush that I did it. And that carries me to my next task. I think this is this is brilliant because this is not just for people with ADHD no. or ADD. This is this applies to everybody. Uh, I, I was as you were describing your list, I was thinking, mm-hmm. I do that. I will look at things and I'll go. Well, I'm not doing that right now. 
Mm -hmm. But to take that extra step to say, well, why am I not doing it right now? Right. Maybe I'm not in the right. For me, I've, I am very interested in planning your calendar based on your energy. Yes. You know, and that's very that's individual, better. right? Like yes. some people in the morning, they're like very yes. creative and they, you know, so it depends on the person, but I will look at my calendar and say, yeah, right now that's, that's something I want to do when I'm feeling relaxed and very creative. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I know I have like 15 emails I have to deal with, so mm -hmm. I can't relax. So yep. I, I love that, you know, the extra step of, okay, what is my barrier? And not only to your to-do list, of like mm -hmm. buy dog food, but also about anything in life. About like, anything. why am I not? Yes. Why am I not changing my diet? Yep. Like, what's stopping me there? The oh barrier. well. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to do it, you know. And that mm -hmm. starts a whole journey. And you know, this is a lifelong, of course, endeavor. I think, but but the very practically make that list. If something comes into your head, just write it down. Just yep. get it out of your head onto paper. And then when you look at your list, you're going to prioritize in a way that works for you. Right. Which for you right now, it sounds like is based on getting those, like the term they use is like eat the frog first thing in the morning, right? Like get the, get the bad stuff off the list so that you feel good. Right. And then you can move on. I, th I love, I think these are very relevant strategies for everybody, whether, right. you know, regardless mm -hmm. of your <laughs> right. neural wiring or whatever. Mm -hmm. So that's great. Yeah. I think this has been a, a fascinating conversation. I, I think okay. it, I, I'm super excited that we had this, that I, I met you and we had this conversation because it's like you said, you know, there, there are people out there who may not know mm -hmm. that this is going on. And not only it could be me, but it could be my partner. It right. could be my employee or Absolutely. my employer, <laughs> right. you know, or right. my client mm -hmm. to be aware of that, that there could be deeper things going on than someone's just being lazy. Right. I actually don't believe in the term lazy. I think lazy doesn't exist. Yeah. I really it, don't. It's very unfair. It, it, and it is a capitalist. It's it's a term that benefits yes. our capitalist society. Yes. You know, and I... Definitely. You know, when we first started talking, I mentioned that I feel like I was the happiest and healthiest during our quarantine. Mm -hmm. And I think that it was because we were just really able to be still and yes. listen, to listen to our bodies. And yeah. I think that the, the thing that we learned was that you do need that stillness to be productive. And if mm. we lived in a world where we recognized our energy patterns, you know, I, I have found working from home has been the greatest thing for me uh, because I am from the time my daughter gets on the bus until about 1130 when I realize I'm starving, I am like, go, 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 go. I can get a million mm -hmm. things checked off that list. I can you know, I'm the most productive then, but then I crash. But mm -hmm. from home, I can go walk my dog. I can do 10 minutes mm -hmm. of stretching or yoga. Um, you know, I can eat a handful of grapes and look at the trees in my backyard. And then I'm, I can get back into it. Yeah. And if, if more, you know, and so my work now and, and moving forward, you know, has always been about access and inclusion. And mm -hmm. I feel like I have not only found my niche, you know, in my work, but I've been able to save my own life mm. in this way, discovering this and taking this yeah. very, you know, seriously and not being afraid. And yeah. I am, you know, hey, 
I still leave laundry in the dryer. I just don't like it. <laughs> so do I. <laughs> or maybe in the washing machine is the worst. I'm gonna say, you know, maybe that's just, just who I am as a person. But you know, some of those other the other things that were really impeding my progress uh, in the workplace is, you know, I've been able to handle. And I feel like if more employers paid attention and prioritized these things, you know, it can be a, a simple thing of you know, this person just needs an hour of work and they get a 10 minute break and then they can do another hour mm-hmm. of work and need a 10 minute break or whatever it might be, whatever, however we can accommodate yeah. because we can all be productive. Everyone can bring, I think when people are able to bring their full selves to their work. And in this case for me, it's, I have ADHD. I am not going to work for nine straight hours and be productive. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I will be productive when I have certain very easy accommodations at work, like those spurt, mm. some other, you know, very easy, very manageable, like zero cost things that make me a more productive, healthy and happy person right. in the workplace. Yeah. So you can bring this into your work uh, going forward by uh, raising awareness and helping uh, corporations mm-hmm. to uh, employ these things. And it's not just ADHD. I know like one thing that comes to mind is dyslexia, you know, yeah. also can be very challenging and mm-hmm. often goes undiagnosed and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I love, I, I, it really ties into the DEI. It sounds like to me, like it really ties into your your professional background with DEI. Yeah. And then when you add on top of that, the fact that that, you know, in our country, definitely people of color have, mm-hmm. you know, for the most part, just so many challenges, right? I mean, we have outright racism, we have institutionalized racism, cultural racism, and then, you know, all the stuff that goes along with that. Right. And then if you have a child who has ADHD or dyslexia mm-hmm. and they're not right. given the care they need when they're mm-hmm. young. So I, I, I can see a wonderful, beautiful career of you <laughs> just really helping people. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, thank you. I think it's awesome. But I really want to thank you for um, for being here today and for spreading awareness about this. I, I really appreciate you sharing your story because I know it's it's not always easy to do that. No. But uh, but thank you for the platform, you know. And I certainly hope sure. that there are there's someone out there listening saying it's me. <laughs> You're not yes. alone. Yes. You're not alone. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Or, or like I said, like it's my sister or my child or right. my husband or, you know, I, I think it's, it's, this really reverberates out, you know, to affect different, potentially different areas of, of our lives. So thank you so much, Heather. I appreciate talking to you today. It's been great, Jill. Thank you so much for everything. Thank you for listening to that amazing episode with Heather Keyworth Conley today. You can connect with Heather via LinkedIn. Check out her professional background. She has a history of being, as you heard in the episode, at the very high executive level in um, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and also what she's interested in helping people who have ADHD or other challenges to add to the list of um, challenges that people can have, right? So it can be multi-layered. So she's very passionate about that. So definitely reach out to her, connect, and let's support Heather in her future endeavors of changing the world for the better. So I have a quote that Heather said that I want to reiterate, and that is, you need stillness to be productive. And I love that. So I want to kind of leave, you know, plant that little seed 
stillness to be productive. Hmm, that's one to think about. Also, uh, I want to remind you that we do have a love challenge, which is hosted on Mighty Networks, which is a women-owned uh, enterprise, and it's a new platform. It's different from Facebook, but it's better because within this platform, you can do the love challenge, you know, watch videos, learn things, do your practices, also interact with community. And so it's kind of like a, a, a private hub for all things uh, related to the work that I'm passionate about and, you know, empowered health for women and weight loss and hormonal balancing and all of that stuff and that community that we can all gather. And really, I, I, I want to change the world, you know, when it comes down to it. I want, we women, we need to stick together to help each other and to change the status quo around health and dieting in this country because it's totally messed up and I'm, I want to change the way, the whole foundation of it, which is now based in, currently based in fear and capitalizing on our shame and our guilt and our regret and our desire to, you know, be something different, right? To be thinner, to be healthier, to look younger, uh, to be taller or shorter, have bigger boobs or smaller boobs, uh, you know, you name it, right? And so there's an entire, there are entire industries based on capitalizing on our desire to be different. And I want to change that. I want us to come together and support each other so that we can be who we are and feel confident and feel healthy and energized and really to practice that self-love. So check out the Love Challenge. You'll get some good skills. Well, you'll get some good tools that if you practice them, you'll develop skills so that self-love can be something you just do on a daily basis. It's just like any other habit. You have to keep, you know, uh, chipping away at it until it really becomes solid, a solid practice for you. So that's what the Love Challenge is all about. And um, that will that link will be in the show notes. I invite you to join us over there in, uh, I don't want to say Jill's world, but uh, Jill's, Jill's vision of the world that I would like you to be a part of and join us. Thank you. Thank you.